Well, it wasn't a all that pleasant week around my house this last week. Um, it's the first time I preached in four weeks, and uh, I was feeling the weight of it. I don't know how it works for Brad, but sometimes I feel the weight of it. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Karen had to put up with me for a few days. We're going to be in Jude. And I know some of you are saying, Jim, we, we did that in Bible study this last summer. Um, and I reminded the Lord of that. I said, Lord, we, we did that in Bible study this summer. And He reminded me that He does something vastly different with the preached Word than He does in small groups. And I said, yes, sir. You know, it's the old Bible study fellowship model. I don't know if any of you have been in Bible study fellowship. I was in it for 12 years. I absolutely loved it. It's where I actually learned the Bible. I didn't learn it in my church growing up. I learned it at BSF. And their model is self-study, group study, exposition. So here comes the exposition that you did not get this last Summer. I struggled. I struggled so much this week. I didn't know where to go. There has to be a hundred thousand possible sermons in the scriptures. I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what you needed to hear. I didn't know what I needed to say. So I just prayed a lot. And I pray that I heard God correctly. Brad has assigned the next six weeks to me. And um, I can actually preach through Jude in six weeks. A whole book in six weeks. And I, I was intrigued by that and I love it. Verse by verse exposition through a book of the Bible. And uh, I think you know the thrust of the book, especially those of you who were in the Bible study. He's battling false teachers in pseudo-Christianity. It's something that I bang all the time. I'm, I'm sure some of you get tired of hearing me bang this drum. But beloved, it, the battle is raging. The battle is raging. Pseudo-churches are on every corner. The false gospels being proclaimed. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Amid myriad other false gospels being preached every Sunday, God is being blasphemed. The Word of God is being ignored. Jude comes with an important message for us you got to contend for the true faith. You heard Joe read the text. We contend for the true faith. Not the made-up one that many, many churches are propagating these days. You guys know the battle rages right here in Scott. And I hate it with a vengeance I hate the false gospel. Again, it blasphemes God. You know, it would just be good for the kingdom if a lot of these churches would just close. The kingdom would be greatly advanced if many 
Many churches would just shut their doors. But it's a money-making operation. So, not much chance that... Regarding Jude, John MacArthur writes this, famous preacher. Most of you know who he is. Jude lived at a time when Christianity was under severe political attack. Now, we're not under, uh, you know, overt political attack yet, but we certainly are under covert political attack, and it will only get worse. It's coming. They'll be, they'll, they'll come. Some of you will live long enough to have to worship in your home. I, I don't really don't have much doubt about it. I probably won't live to see it, but some of you young people, I think, will definitely see it. MacArthur continues. There was an aggressive spiritual infiltration from libertines. He uses the word libertines. Some of you don't know what that means. It means those who reject orthodox truth. They just reject the truth. They say whatever they want to say. You know, these preachers that get in pulpits and just make stuff up. You know, they might read a text and then they bounce off of it and they just say whatever they want. You guys have probably witnessed that. MacArthur continues, they, they sow an abundant seed of gigantic, uh, for a gigantic harvest of doctrinal error. MacArthur continuing, thus Jude called the church to a fight for the truth in the midst of intense spiritual warfare. Amen? It's a war. You're supposed to know you're in a war. If you don't know you're in a war, I don't know if you know Christ at all. It's a war. It was a war for him. Every day was a war for him when he walked the planet. And it's like that for us sometimes too. If we're actually out there sharing the truth. So, so what is, you know, Brad said last week, I think he said this was the, that his sermon was the end of the Healthy Church series. But, you know, maybe not. Maybe this one is. <laughs> you know, maybe this one. And what is the final hallmark of a healthy church? We contend earnestly for the faith. Even if nobody else comes on Sunday, we contend earnestly for the faith. It doesn't matter if you and I like it. What matters is, does God like it? Is it what God said? That's all that matters to these three elders. Hey, if you want to go in a different direction, you're going to have three less elders. Right? That's, we're never going to go away from the Word of God. Never. And if you don't like it, that's between you and Him. That's between you and the living God. So the battle rages right here in Scott. You guys have experienced this battle up close and personal in the last few years. So, a couple of weeks in June. You heard Joe read the text. The people or God are to contend earnestly for the faith. What does contend mean? It means we struggle and we resist and we oppose and we challenge the false teachers. It's what we do. It's who we are.
If you're not in this struggle, I would have to say you're missing the whole reason God has left you on the planet. You are here to contend for the truth. That's your job in the world. So your elders preach and teach and you go out in the world and you contend for the truth. We're trying to give you the truth as best we can grasp it from the Word of God and then you go contend for it. Amen? That's your job. That's why He left you on the planet. It'd be far better to be with Christ. It would be far better. He's left you here to contend. And I learned this lesson. <laughs> the Lord really drove this home to me. Back in the spring of 98, my first semester of seminary, I had two part-time jobs. One was with a ministry. One was with a business. Word traveled fast. There's a 42-year-old seminary student working in accounting. And he's in that cubicle over there. And people used to just come by. You know, they wanted to see the new animal at the zoo more or less and the president started calling me the company chaplain people would just come by and they would sit at my desk in my cubicle and they wanted to talk a little theology one by one they came by Jackie was a young Jewish woman she wanted me to tell her that her Judaism would take her to heaven I mean Jesus was a Jew right and so am I so I should be good if you're right Pastor Jim Chaplain Jim Glenn was a Mormon. He wanted me to affirm that as a Mormon, he was a true follower of Jesus. Bill was a Roman Catholic. He wanted me to tell him that all of his religious practices assured him of salvation. Janet was a nominal Methodist who was unfulfilled in her marriage, and she wanted me to tell her it was okay to leave her husband. Ray was just a nice guy. He paid his taxes. He mowed his grass. He took care of his family. He went to the Presbyterian church down the street, you know, on Christmas and Easter. He wanted me to tell him that being a church-going nice guy was enough. That was enough. Sharon was an on-again, off-again Baptist with a pregnant teenage daughter. She just wanted me to tell her it was okay to abort that child. And Paul, the playboy president of the company, <laughs> who seemed to think, well, I'm an American. Doesn't that mean I'm a Christian? <laughs> you know, that's what he seemed to think. And that, you know, I've heard that God is a God of love. He's not going to judge me. There's no real, there's no hell, is there, Jim? That was what the owner of the company wanted to know. So I learned very quickly that most people really don't want the truth. They want a lie. Tell me a lie. Pastor, Tell me a lie. Anything but the truth. Anything but what God says. Just anything. Chaplain Jim. You know, you, you guys know this. You've been in the world. <laughs> People don't want the truth. They just want you to affirm them in what they, their truth. That's what they want. They want you to affirm them. They don't really want to know what God has to say. In all honesty, most are not interested in what God has to say again. Just give me license to live my life the way I want. You know, human beings are very odd creatures. I'm having a lot of trouble with this thingy. They're very odd creatures. You know, at the mall, they want the name brand. 
Clothes, shoes, watches, computers, cars. I want the name brand. Man, at church, anything will do. Anything will do. Tell me anything that gives me license to live the way I want to live. I don't really care what the Creator says. Give me license, Pastor. Tell me, tell, tell me I'm unconditionally loved no matter what I do. No matter how I blaspheme God. Give me license, Pastor. You know, a lot of guys get paid big money to give license. <laughs> a lot of guys on TV doing quite well. Giving their congregation license. So, yeah. Any cheap reproduction will suffice at church. What odd creatures we are. And you guys know, if you're biblically literate, we understand that pseudo-Christianity is Satan's best con. It's his best scam. You know, most, most people think that any variety of Christianity is not only a good thing, it's universally a good thing, but Jesus said, watch out, right? He said, watch out, my first sermon I preached. Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says Lord to me will enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be millions of people crying, Lord, Lord, and he will say to them, I never knew you. You never loved me. You never gave yourself away from me. There will be millions of Christians in hell because their pastor gave them license and he presented a pseudo-Christ week after week after week after week. Beloved, Christianity is only a good thing if it's the real thing. Where does apostasy start? You know, it starts with guys like me. And guys like Brad and guys like Joe. It starts with unscrupulous leaders who are in it for their own fame or renown or for money, or for prestige, or whatever, for their ego, I don't know, all the possible reasons. But we saw God condemn the false prophets in the Old Testament. You guys know, you guys know those, some of those texts, and I'll share them with you in just a moment. Pseudo-Judaism flowed out of an apostate, heretical priesthood. And the same is true for pseudo-Christianity. It flows out of a heretical clergy. False shepherds. This is what Jude will address. You say, Jim, why are you doing all this? Why are you telling me all this? Because I'm laying the groundwork for what Jude is going to talk about. Okay? That's why I'm going here. That's why I've got a little bit of a long introduction, but we've got three short verses to talk about. 
Isaiah 39 and 10, you remember how God said this? For these people are rebellious. They're false sons. They're sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the prophets, you must not you're not going to believe this unless you've read your Bible. You must not prophesy to us what is right. Don't tell me what's right. Tell me what I want to hear. He continues, speak to us in pleasant words, prophesy illusions. Now who talks like that? What thinking person talks like that? Apostates talk like that. Beloved, Jude matters right now today. Right now today. You guys know how Paul says it to Timothy over in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. The time will come. Well, it's here. It's been here a long time. The time will come when they will not endure or tolerate sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, turning away from the truth and turning to myths. Give me a myth, but don't tell me the truth. It's going to change the way I live on Monday. I'm not interested. Pat me on the head and send me home. Pastor... False teachers flourish because people want pleasant words and illusions. False teachers flourish because people prefer a good tickle over what their creator has to say. I learned a really good lesson that first seminary, uh, first semester in seminary at my part-time job. You know, I love what Paul Washer says about false teachers. He said, you know, Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, and Joyce Meyer, they're a judgment on an apostate church. They are, in fact, part of the judgment of an apostate church. A church that's not really interested in the Word of God. I like guys just say what it is. I like guys who name names. So Jude, who is this man who God chose to write this very urgently important letter? Not only in that day, but in this one. Well, most of you know, he was one of the four half-brothers of Jesus. He's the brother of James who wrote the epistle of James. Verse 1, Jude. It's, uh, if you don't know where it is, it's the next to last book of the Bible. Verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Did you notice Jude's humility here in Verse 1. He doesn't say, hey, I'm the half-brother of the Son of God. I might have been tempted to say that. He doesn't say, hey, my brother is, is the pastor of the biggest church in the world over in Jerusalem. He doesn't say that either. What does he say? You tell me, what does your Bible say? What does he say about himself? What is Jude? He's a bondservant. That's all he sees himself as. And that's how you're supposed to see yourself. 
If you don't see yourself as a slave, the, the Greek word is doulos. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Greek word used most often in the New Testament to refer to Christians. They weren't referred to Christians in the New Testament. They were referred to as slaves. Are you a slave to Christ? That's what Christianity is. Do, do you understand about being a bondservant? That's what it is. I'm no longer mine. We talked about it, I don't know, five, six, eight weeks ago. The men who gave themselves away unconditionally to Christ. That's Christianity. It's always been Christianity. It's nothing less than that. <laughs> it's not a little church going. He says, man, I'm a bondservant. I'm a, I'm a slave. I'm doulos. I've given myself up to him. I hold nothing back. I am disregarding all of my own interest for him. <laughs> we were with the Zoomers yesterday, the European Zoomers, and I love what <laughs> we have this wonderful Greek daughter. We adopted her, and she said, she said, you know, there's that time that as a Christian, you just, you, you, you finally see Christ as beautiful. He's beautiful. And everything else pales. He's beautiful. And everything else pales. He's beautiful. This is what Jude's saying. <laughs> He's beautiful. I've got I've to walk with this God. I'm his slave. Whatever he calls me to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm doulos, man. I'm doulos. It's what he's saying. I'm doulos. If you're born again, you understand what I'm talking about. If he doesn't captivate your heart and your mind and your soul, you don't know him. Can I just say that lovingly? Can I say that lovingly? Will you receive that? Will you receive that from me? If he doesn't captivate you, you have not met him yet. Because when you meet him, he will captivate you. He will captivate you. So Jude's writing to the doulos guys, you know. <laughs> not, the mere, not merely the guys who attend church sometimes when it's convenient. You know, he's, talking to, he's not talking to the pretenders. He's talking to the slaves. The whole Bible is addressed to slaves. Slaves of Christ. That's what he's talking about. No nominalism, no lukewarmness, no dispassionate, sort of disinterested... <clears throat> aspect of Christ but I'm a slave he's writing to the called you saw it in the text the beloved and the kept <laughs> the called the beloved and the kept the guys who understand that their conversion is a sovereign miracle of God the church didn't give it to me. The pastor didn't give it to me. The deacon didn't give it to me. My parents didn't give it to me. God gave it to you. If it's real, God did it. God did it. 
Man, you get a big, you know, you get a big picture of, of the greatness of your salvation, and you understand about the beauty of Christ, and, and you understand about the doulos thing. You understand. I don't have to explain it to you. The called, the loved, and the kept, my Italian brothers would say, incredibile! And I know I'm fired up. I can't help it. It happens when I get up here. It happens. Incredibile! I can't believe it that he's loved me like this. Our Greek sister said yesterday, you know, she was talking, she says, I've never been loved like this. Ever. Ever. Right? You know, it's the title of the sermon. You may be wondering, ambushed by the text. What does that mean? <laughs> it means I got ambushed, man. I was going to talk mostly about, you know, false teachers, and I got ambushed. <laughs> uh, I'm captivated. <laughs> I'm captivated by the beauty of Christ. I'm captivated by the called, the beloved, and the kept thing. Because those who understand about the called and the beloved and the kept thing, we are slaves. We are slaves. I'm not a Baptist. Don't care much about it. But I'm a slave. I'm not, you know, just a member down at Grace. That's a good thing. But you know what? What really gets me jacked up is I'm a slave. I'm a slave. You know, Jude got ambushed too, didn't he? He said, man, I was intending to write to you, verse 3, about the, our common salvation. But, you know, I've got to write to you about, about the heresy. There's a necessity here. He uses that word. There's a necessity here to, for me to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith. But you know what? Here I am. I'm preaching Jude. In verse 1, he talks about the, the called and the beloved and the kept. I can't blow past that. I can't blow past that. I got to talk about it. I've got to talk about it. You know, you read something like that and you just have to just pause and, and worship. And you, you know, it's, it's Psalm 211. You just have to rejoice with trembling. We were talking about this yesterday with the Zoomers. Romans 9, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will harden whomever I desire. Now, if you've never really trembled at that text, you've not understood about how God has loved you. There was no good reason for Him to have compassion on you. There was no good reason. There was every reason for Him to simply judge you. You have blasphemed him for most of your life, if not all of your life before you were converted. He had every reason to send you to hell. Ben, you read something about you read something like the called and the beloved and the kept and a true believer, you have to get prostrate, man. You can't, I can't blow past that. <laughs> I can't blow past that. We know what the Bible teaches us in summary. 
that we were spiritually dead, helpless, ungodly. We were sinners. We were enemies of God. But what? Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive. We understand that it's what He did. You know, all other religions are what you do. Christianity, biblical Christianity, it's not that you prayed a prayer. It's not that you, you know, came down front. It's not that you got baptized. It's that God saved you. God did it. It's a miracle. It's a sovereign miracle. And if you ever get over that, you've not understood it. We are the called, the beloved, and the kept, and another, you know, little Italian, impossible that he could love me like that. How could he love me like that? Impossible. You know, I, I, I've preached through First Peter, and I never forgot this. I never forgot it. You know, Judah's opening, just like Peter did in First Peter. You don't need to turn there. Just listen to this summary. 1 Peter 1, verse 1, I've chosen you. 1 Peter 1, verse 2, I have redeemed you with my blood. 1 Peter 1, verse 2 again, I have sanctified you with my spirit. 1 Peter 1, verse 3, I've caused you to be born again. 1 Peter 1, verse 4, I have prepared an imperishable inheritance for you. 1 Peter 1, verse 5, I am protecting you with my omnipotent power. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 and 7, I am, protect, I am protecting, or pardon me, perfecting your faith in the trial. And uh, 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9, I'm saving your soul. <laughs> you know, 1 Peter, he just goes, man, he just goes off on this great salvation that we have. <laughs> yeah, I, th well, I think it was Eleni. I think it was Eleni. No, it was Andre yesterday. Andre said, God's seeing to it. He's seeing to it that you won't ever go to hell. He's seeing to it. You know, Romans 8, it's done. It's done. It can't be undone. You know, if you grew up in a crummy church like I did, you have to unlearn almost everything you were taught about salvation. And I'm going to quote Piper here. And we have to learn to tremble, quote, at the magnitude of the miracle of your own conversion. When was the last time you trembled at the magnitude of the miracle of your own salvation? Jews says, we are the called. Sometimes the Bible uses the word chosen, sometimes the word elect, sometimes foreknown, sometimes predestined, sometimes foreloved. I know these words make some people tense and they stop coming to church here. I get that. Shame on them, I would say. Hey, if you don't understand it, that's okay. But to reject it, that's a whole nother thing before God. You don't like God's words? Well, that's between you and Him. It's not going to stop this pulp pulpit from, you know, joyously proclaiming that God is a sovereign God and he, he, he has compassion on whom He will and He hardens whomever He pleases. 
Now, it doesn't matter if you and I like it. It's what God says. And so we humbly, we humbly submit. We humbly submit to the truth of the Word of God. Hey, you got a problem with it? Okay, work on it. Pray about it. Man, it took me 10 years with Romans 9. It's okay to struggle. It's not okay to amend, edit, revise, twist, redact, or ignore. Or just create your own little gospel and start your own little church. This is not a doctrine to be wary of. Man, this is a doctrine that will make you get on your face and praise God. And you, could, you actually could imagine praising God a billion eternities just because of this. could actually envision doing it. You know, I won't go there. I don't know how I'm doing on time. But you know, it's like, it's like, <laughs> it's like that, it's like that thing in Revelation 5, 9 through 13. I'm not going to read it all, but you know, it's that new song, man. We're singing this new song about a God who's worthy, who purchased for us uh, with his blood. He purchased us with his blood. Revelation 5. And we're, he, he's made us Verse 10, He's made us a, a kingdom and, and priests to our God. And we will reign upon the earth. And it closes like this, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing, even the damned, will bow and confess the greatness of Christ. It's the new song. It's the new song. I'm captivated and he's beautiful. It's the new song, man. And we'll sing it forever, right? We'll never, we'll never grow weary. Among all the myriad things we'll do in heaven, we'll be singing some, I know. We'll be singing some. I'll have to follow Jenna's lead on some of the stuff. You know, I couldn't help but think of it. I don't know if I've ever used it here. I don't think I have. <laughs> I used to use it in Italy some, and I'd always have to translate it for the folks. It reminds me of that old African-American gospel line, and I always love it. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. That's what the called and the beloved and the kept is all about. Nobody's ever, you know, back to Eleni, nobody's ever loved you like he has loved you. Nobody. Nobody can, nobody will. Ain't nobody do me like Jesus. Ain't nobody called, loved, and kept me like Jesus. Ain't nobody do me like the lamb that was slain. Ain't nobody do me like that. And if the wind has blown through your life, <laughs> it's Eleni again. The wind is blowing. You understand everything I'm saying. John chapter 3. Verse 2, may the mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Yeah, there's about a hundred sermons here. I just want to say God's math is way better than your math. When he multiplies, well, you know, it's with infinity and eternality. When God does his sums, 
It's God-sized multiplication. He will multiply mercy and peace and love to his people. This is omnipotently and invincibly true. It cannot not happen. He will do it. He will do it. You guys know Romans 8? Got to go back to Romans 8 just for a minute. You got, I read this at my dad's funeral. How could you not read this at a funeral? Right? Paul says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor, nor depth nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate me, separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nobody do me like Jesus. Did I mention that you're kept? Did I mention that you are protected by the power of God? Did I mention that God saved you with sovereign mercy? I think I mentioned it. Verse 3, Jude says, I really wanted to write about our common salvation, but I've got to talk to you, you know, the, the, the called and, and, and the loved and the kept thing. That's what I really was wanting to talk about. That's my sense of the text. But I've got to talk to you about, about the wickedness that's in the church. I've got to talk to you about, you know, these, uh, these people that have, what, are they, what does he call them? These certain persons that have crept in. The Osteens, right? The Myers. I can't name them all. There are far too many. These people have crept in. He says, I've got to write to you about these people. Because you've got to fight for what's true. You've got to fight for the faith. You've got to contend. Are you contending, beloved? I'm going to ask each one of you. Are you a contender? Are you fighting for it? If you're not fighting for it, the very least I can say, you are in rank disobedience to the clear word of God and likely unconverted. We're supposed to be fighting for this truth. what God's Word says. Jude says, this is a necessity. This is a necessity. Satan is attacking the truth. He always has. This has been going on before the Bible was even compiled. It was already going on. But these certain persons, these libertines, as MacArthur calls them, these people who do not accept orthodoxy, they have crept in unnoticed. They are false shepherds and ministers and pastors and priests and teachers, and they're bringing their pleasant words and illusions. And I love, I've always loved how Paul talked about them in Philippians 3. He doesn't say, hey, you know, they're uninformed, misguided, and well-intentioned guys. He says they're dogs and they're evil workers. Listen, I know I'm fired up. I, I can't help it. I can't help it. He says, these people are dogs. If, you know, if they adulterate what I have said in the Bible, they are dogs and they are evil workers. Period. Full stop. You know, if a guy doesn't understand the Bible, get out of the pulpit. Don't dare come up here if you don't understand that God is sovereign. He does all he pleases. And you're nothing but a mouthpiece. Don't come up here. 
And you know false teachers are good, aren't they? You've heard them. Truth, 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 half truth, half truth, half truth, lie. And you're supposed to know the Word of God well enough to understand about those half-truths and lies. So we'll develop more of this in the coming weeks. But as I close, I want to at least mention God's explicit exhortation to every true believer. Verse 3, I've said it numerous times already. You, God means for you to contend earnestly for the faith. MacArthur says to fight strenuously for it. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase goes like this. We are to fight with everything we have in us for this truth entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. It's just abysmal, isn't it? It's abysmal. Your average professed Christian. He never picks up his Bible. He never reads it. He doesn't know what, he, what it says. Oh, but I was saved when I was eight. God is calling you and me to be plucky. Who knows what plucky means? Who knows what it means? Plucky. I love this word. Plucky. It sounds like, you know, maybe it's a little dodgy. Plucky. It means brave and gutsy and courageous and fearless and spirited defense of the truth. Right? Maybe this is what got me all jacked up. A spirited defense of the truth. Not only is the preacher called to it, but you are as well. I'll just ask you this. Are you, will you contend earnestly for the truth that God has given you? Are you, will you read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it and communicate it? Will you work on Romans 9 till you get it? Are you, will you hide it in your heart and share it at every opportunity? Are you, will you recognize counterfeit Christianity and will you boldly speak against it. And if you have to, you name names. That's not wrong. Hey, if they're a false teacher, hey, we need to put it on a billboard out there. If they're saying things that are absolutely contradictory to the Word of God, you know, we just got to be men and women. We just got to stand up and say what it is. And if all this is inconsequential to you, I pray for your soul. If, if all of this is inconsequential to you, if it means nothing to you Monday through Saturday, you know, and even after you get out of here, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's in five minutes, it's all gone. If it's inconsequential to you, I pray for your soul. Yes, of course, we have to speak against all the goofy world religions. Yes, of course, we do. But God is calling us to something unique here. He's calling us to speak against pseudo-Christianity. And that is not always easy. But he says, this is a necessity, right? And, but you know, you know how it is. I, I've been accused of this in Milan many times, right? 
You know, you speak against the counterfeits and, and you're often accused of being unloving and caustic and divisive and parochial. God says, call them out. Call them out. They're taking people to hell. It's what false teachers do. Satan is laughing. He's laughing. Certain persons, of course, will pick a fight with you. But my advice to you is to love them with the truth. The man who loves you the most will tell you the most truth. He won't always stroke you and bring pleasant words and ear tickles. So it was a valuable lesson that my co-workers reinforced in me back in that first semester of seminary in 98. I learned it well. Most people don't want the truth. You know, they didn't come back by very much after a few times. My coworkers, they just stopped coming by. They just stopped coming by. But you know who understands about false teachers? You know who understands about false teachers? The called, the beloved, and the kept. And we will not let you blaspheme our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with your apostasy. We will not let you do it because He's beautiful to me and I am captivated by Him and He saved me. You don't get to talk about Him in some duplicitous way in front of me. Because here it is, right? Contend for the faith. What did Jesus say? I am the what? I am the way, the what? The truth. You're to fight for the truth. He's the truth. Do you love Him? Will you fight for Him? Will you contend earnestly for that truth? Will you be a doulos? Will you be a slave to Christ out in the world? You know, we all have a few moments left. Just a few moments. We're going to be standing before Him really soon. Just a few moments. What are you going to do? Are you going to live like everybody else in the world? Or are you going to live like a slave to the Son of God? It's all about that new song, you know, Revelation 5. It's all to the glory of Christ. You know, I get fired up not because, you know, I'm some kind of guy who simply, you know, wants to be caustic or, you know, just, you know, wants to be, you know, argumentative or I just want to pontificate. I do it because I love him. And I can't stand it when people belittle him and what he's done by turning the gospel into some stupid prosperity thing. Just to mention one you know, obvious variation of the truth. So, five more weeks in Jude. I don't know if I can handle it. I might blow up. I might, I might explode up here. But I pray that you'll hang in with me. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm just going to... We're just going to be quiet for a little bit. And then, then I'll close in prayer, okay? 
So you, you know, if you want to talk to the Lord right there in your chair about where you are with respect to contending for the faith, might be good. You know, maybe you just, maybe you just need to, you need, maybe you need to cry out to him about the, you know, Lord, I, I have to confess, I don't, I don't really see you as beautiful. I, I, I don't find you compelling. So whatever business you want to do, you can do it. So let's just be still before the Lord for a few minutes.